0: Hello, and welcome to Remember the Film, the podcast where we're supposed to be some kind of expert on movies. Is that correct? (laughs) Is that correct? (laughs) I I guess. (laughs) Well, that is a uh, paraphrased quote from today's Remember the Film, or excuse me, Film to Remember, My Cousin Vinny, uh, which uh, is, you know, classic 90s comedy uh, I am your host Jeff Grisork, and I am joined, as always, by my two wonderful co-hosts, the incomparable Hugo Panay. How are you, Hugo?
1: Incomparable. I'm <laughs> I'm I'm good. I I just got back to Italy uh, this past week, so I've been doing a bunch of things. So I'm extremely tired, but 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 doing good. Excit- it, it's good to be home. And we are joined by the incredible
2: Josh Bradley. Oh, that's me. Okay, yeah. Hey, hey, hi. How's it going? Know, I'm
0: trying. I'm trying to hype us up a little bit. We're good. We're you know we're good guys. Hey. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Yeah yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I like I like the hype.
0: Well, so as I said, we're talking my cousin Vinny uh, on this week's episode. I'm very excited to talk about that, just because we don't do comedies too often on the show, uh, and we'll see if there's a reason for that during our discussion. <laughs> uh, but I mean, we're going to start. You, you want hearing plans from me? <laughs> We're going to start with our, our usual first uh, topic of our show. What have we been watching recently? Let's kick it off with Josh.
2: All right. So since we last recorded like a month ago, more than a month ago, um, I've watched not that much. That's so okay. Uh, I watched Deepwater, the Ben Affleck on Armist Armas movie, uh, Adrian Lyons Return on Hulu, and um, What's funny is like that movie would have been, they made like a twenty of those a year twenty years ago and like it was would would have been like okay that one that one kind of missed but because that's like the only kind of that that's the only version of that movie we get nowadays I'm like oh yeah give me more <laughs> I need to watch this as soon as I can opening night it's you know it's not what you want it's kind of a kind of bad but you know I heard it was kind of like yeah yeah I mean I I want it to be good because I like Ben Affleck I like Underarmist so I like erotic thrillers uh it, the kind of movie Adrian Lyne made his money on in the 80s and 90s that they you know don't really make anymore but this one wasn't good uh i watched everything everywhere all at once which is um mm. the best movie i've seen in a really really long time yeah, and it's so good. Uh, much yeah it's, it's really really good uh poor hugo there's no release date in italy so <laughs> he hasn't
1: seen it yet and so, he's been the, dying about it i've been going on the stupid indb page i swear to god at least once a day <laughs> and, and they keep adding release dates on other countries and some countries like at least have like the uk i think the uk and ireland it just says 2022 but at least it says 2022 like italy is just not on the list so yeah i'm very excited i'm sure about you'll get it, it at so. some point yeah. like friends of mine have described it as like uh one meets the matrix and i'm like yes please kind of so.
2: There's definitely some Wong Kar Wai illusions in a, yeah. in a couple scenes, for, that's for sure. And obviously The Matrix is a heavy influence. Yeah. Grace, yeah. you liked it too, right?
0: Oh, I absolutely loved it. Like, I, I walked yeah, out of to the too. theater and I was like, I, I, I have a hard time imagining any movie is going to top that for me this year. I 100% yeah. loved everything about the movie. Uh, it was only mm-hmm. in like 1,200 theaters uh, nationwide. Uh, so yeah. I'm imagining after this uh, initial success, I'm, I'm hopeful that some other... Uh, theaters will start getting it here in the states that didn't get it originally uh, so fingers crossed on that because I this is a movie that I, I really hope that lots of people will experience because uh, it is so unique it is like there will never, there will probably be a hundred movies like this in the future but it's all gonna be riffing on what they did in this one so yep. I I can't rave yeah. about it enough
2: good movie. Uh, I also caught up with Mike Nichols' Catch-22. I'm trying to work my way through Mike Nichols' movies. I watched Panic Room. Good movie. Uh, I saw the New Michael Bay, Ambulance, and IMAX on Thursday night. Sorry, sorry. Um, Ambu-la-ance. ambu la and
1: ambu la and Yes. Okay, <laughs> or
2: whatever. Uh, I liked it. I mean, it's it's exactly what it says in the box. Uh, a, a two-hour Michael Bay chase sequence, which is, which is always cool. <laughs> um, I think the first hour is like really really good and it kind of drags uh in the middle and the ending is kind of like just okay but the first hour is awesome uh Jake Gyllenhaal is just <laughs> really going for it in in every every line delivery and uh I love it and um I think um I can't remember who it was so I'm sorry I can't cite the person I think it was maybe Matt Singer uh, on Letterbox said that uh it's like a a great premise for like a taut 85 minute thriller and this is like you know 135 minutes so like you know it's gonna it's gonna inevitably sag in places and it does but like again the first hour is really really good and you know everything else is you know again it's a Michael Bay chase movie so it's exactly what you it's, it's what you want it to be you know uh and then last night I watched the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou which uh it's not my favorite Wes Anderson I'm sorry to say
0: I but like that's a uh, Life Aquatic but I remember when it came out everyone was all about it like it was the best thing ever and so that of course made me question if it was actually the best thing ever <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, so it's, but i mean it, it,
1: it, it does have it is kind of polarizing like if i'm not wrong life aquatic is the only west anderson movie that is like has a rotten score on on run tomatoes or or at least it's like below so it's one of the lowest scoring movies all i know him. is
0: everyone in my high school <laughs> loved it <laughs> Loved it. all everyone who loved movies was was talking about that yeah. and it drove I like them because like uh, it's not
1: yeah. i agree it's not my favorite but but i but i enjoy it it's solid yeah no.
0: yeah that's what did that Josh
1: you watch anything else that's it nope all not right. that i can remember at least well Hugo what have you watched recently okay um i won't go as far back as the last time we recorded because the, I, yeah I've, I've watched because like because a lot of those movies didn't really get a release so I had to seek them out on digital later Um, I, I watched a bunch of Oscar nominees uh, mm. in, in anticipation to, of seeing the Oscars Um, but let's say more recently my, my favourite of those was Drive My Car far and away Drive My Car is, is my favourite movie of last year having seen it and I, like I've seen it three weeks ago and I'm still sometimes I'm just still oh my god like how did like I don't even I guess it's a it's a three- hour movie where they basically just talk and and somehow it's it's so gripping and engrossing and I, I just adored it it was incredible um it's very sad but in a way that I appreciate like the, it's sad and uplifting at the same time which is, it's, I guess It's my kind bad. of a,
0: a truthful yeah. sadness to it like it's a very yeah, natural it's, sadness
1: yeah and it's because of it's that melancholic it enables yeah. a little it's bit not of overwrought. Uplift, a little
0: uplift in it as well which is you know, exactly what makes it so yeah. special
1: it's it was it was beautiful um more recent, more recently i've been i also saw ambulance um, <laughs> which i agree i think the the best sequence like the action sequences in the movie are incredible and, and and i feel like if the if the movie was an hour and 45 it could be really really good um and I don't know if you guys have you guys seen that movie Unstoppable by Tony Scott? Oh, no. I haven't. It, yeah, it's a movie Chris Pine and Denzel. Chris Pine yeah. and Denzel, and it's like two people stuck on a vehicle that has to move, and they have to figure out one thing. And it's basically the whole movie is one set piece. So it's very similar. That movie's ninety minutes long, and this one is two hours and fifteen. And I'm like, oh, okay. A lot of the time, I was like, okay, like, can we <laughs> get to the end of this? Move this along, yeah. But like the 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 action sequences are really good the movie apparently bombed completely at the box office but you know i i kind of enjoy it enjoyed it um also in anticipation of everything everywhere all at once that has quickly become my most anticipated movie of the year hopefully uh i mean the green knight we got the green knight last year we got it on prime video it didn't get a cinema release so maybe i'll get to see it that way but i hope it I can get to see it in theaters but in anticipation for that I've been watching some kung fu movies and some uh uh I also watched so I've been watching kung fu movies I've watched Royal Warriors and Magnificent Warriors which are two 80s movies starring Michelle Yeoh um uh from Hong Kong uh, this like these movies like the thing about Hong Kong movies of the 80s and 90s is a lot of the stories are pretty like uninteresting but they everything that you see on camera they like there's a scene in in royal warriors where the script says a guy is going to fall from a building and so they sh- shoot a guy falling from an actual building like it, all of those movies are made with that intensity and I, effects, for something yeah they just they do insane stunts and they're very enjoyable for me um i also watched swiss army man oh, uh i love the first movie. movie by the daniels um or daniels they don't like the article but whatever in a sentence the daniels um a movie that I enjoyed a lot. Um, another movie that is very sad, but also kind of sweet uh, and melancholic at the same time. Also, uh, incredibly funny. Um, it's it's like a, a really existential, sad, sweet movie that is also for the most part about fart jokes and and poop and and like stuff. So yeah, uh, well, and that, that's it. That uh, has the, Daniel Radcliffe? Uh, yeah, who plays you know, like a corpse? He plays a corpse slowly. And- becomes reanimated and whose body can do fantastic it's so,
0: things. That one was so it's so fun because like I, you just love to see Daniel Radcliffe, who of course you know for so oh, long yeah. was just Harry Potter, and that's all anybody was ever going mm-hmm. to see him as. But now he's just like, well, whatever. They're all going to see me as Harry Potter, so I'm just going to be doing these weird, rotting the corpse. I'll do whatever I want.
1: <laughs> he takes a lot of big swings, yeah, and I appreciate that yeah. a lot. <laughs> and like when it works, great, it's awesome, a like, really good movie. Um, and. Finally, uh, I mean, I also watched Batman Returns, which I had never seen before. Somehow, uh, did really? not really enjoy that. Uh, no, I thought it's, it was it's not my favorite. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, I, I had no idea what was going on in that movie. Like, I felt like the plot was, I don't, I could not f- follow it for the most. I, I, for the most part, for most of the running time of the movie, I felt like, oh, then this happened, and then this other scene happens, and it's like, a, I'm a little confused. There was but, a time when I, mean, I would have thought there's no way anyone would vote for the Penguin.
0: But, you know, for the world yeah. we live in these days, who knows? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well,
1: but I guess the best movie that I saw recently is The Farewell. I'd never seen The Farewell mm, before. Yeah. Uh, Lulu, Wong. Lulu Wong's film uh, with Awkwafina. Um Fantastic movie. Like, I, another, I think, big snob at the Oscars of that year. Although it was a stacked year, uh, to be completely it fair. But I, I loved that movie. Um, it was like... We were me and my girlfriend. She was sick, so we were watching it in bed together, and and just cr- both crying and like <laughs> so emotional. And then at the end, there's there's you know, ah, I guess I I guess it's a spoiler for the movie, but we find out that a character actually is alive, and we were like, oh my god, yes, oh that's so good, and we were just overjoyed by this i just want to um, say like i've noticed a trend here in the movies that you watch they've all been really sad they they have all been really sad you go ahead sad boy month yeah i guess we also watched twilight that same day in bed so oh and that makes you know, me sad do without what, what you will yeah <laughs> funny movie though like it's a fun watch it's if you laugh at it it's fun um so yeah so that's what i've been watching recently i guess what about you Chris? So I
0: watched the Lost City, the uh, Sandra Bullock, oh, yeah. Channing Tatum, uh nice. you know, rom-com fun. adventure rom com. It really is. It is a lot of fun. Hmm. I, it's like it's not gonna set the world on fire, but uh you know, it is a surprisingly good blend of Indiana Jones with a romantic comedy. It you know. Hmm.
2: Have you seen Romancing the Stone? I have not. I haven't either, but apparently it's basically that, basically, basically um, which was that. a very successful, very successful beloved movie. So, you know, that's, and my girlfriend that's, that's loved a compliment to Lost
0: Channing Tatum takes multiple clothes off in the movie. So, you know, that's that's a all right. For, for a which we all love.
2: People. Multiple clothes.
0: <laughs> yeah. um, so that one was a lot of fun. I watched Millennium Actress, uh, uh, which oh, is yeah. uh, another animated film from, uh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking. Uh, Kong. Satoshi, Kon. Satoshi Kon.
1: Satoshi Kon. Satoshi Kon. Yeah.
0: Kon. Thank you. Uh, and that movie was fantastic. I, you know, I didn't love Perfect Blue, mm-hmm. uh, so I was you know, a little skeptical about Millennium Actress. I, I did enjoy Tokyo Godfathers, which is another one of his movies. Uh, but Millennium Actress was fantastic. It's like, it's a, a brilliant love letter to uh, Japanese cinema, uh, mm-hmm. and it was very creatively done and you know and beautifully animated. So if if you're uh, looking for an anime an anime movie. Uh, that uh, is a good like hallmark of what you can get from that genre. Uh, Millennium Actress definitely would suggest that uh, you have
1: I've... to watch Paprika now. I do because that's really the only should. one I haven't like, seen. So <laughs> yeah. Paprika, it, if you're not unfamiliar, is basically one of the main inspirations for Inception. And once you watch the movie, it's it's uncanny how some of those elements have been, you know, used replicated. By Christopher Nolan, yeah, interesting.
0: Well, yeah. I, I intended to watch it anyways because it's the last one of his movies I have I haven't seen, so uh, that'll probably be next week. I'll watch that. Uh, mm-hmm. I also watched Everything Everywhere All at Once, and uh, you know, just to illustrate again. <laughs> it's it's like I said, it's very unique, but it's because it, what makes it so unique is it tackles a thousand different things and excels at all of them. So <laughs> uh, some people might say that that it gets a little too. Everywhere all at once. <laughs> but uh, I think it, it, it's a ton of fun. I can't wait. I, honestly, I can't wait, Hugo, for you to watch it. You're going to love it. Uh, and then, uh, so that was undoubtedly going to be one of my favorite movies of the year, if not my favorite movie of the year. But I also, yesterday, watched what is undoubtedly going to be my least favorite movie of the year. I watched Morbius, and it Great. is bad. <laughs> it is so bad. <laughs> and it, I, I seriously, I, I walked out of the theater and I thought, I don't know if I'm gonna watch
1: every superhero movie anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I think Broke Grizz. And uh, that's it, not a bad instinct to follow. Usually, like
0: um, usually, superhero movies for me, they have a baseline. Like I can, they usually reach. Like that was fine. Like mm-hmm. uh, Venom, the Venom movies. I don't love them. I don't hate them. They're fine. Uh, a lot this, of people like those. A lot of people like them. I, that, for me, those ones yeah. are just fine. I think their pacing is is just terrible. But this one takes all of the horrible pacing of Venom, removes the comedic aspects, <laughs> and then adds more nonsense for nonsense' sake. It's
1: it's just and and just redoes scene from the Batman Begins. Yes, it really. does <laughs> literally the exact
0: same scene. <laughs> like That's the score, travesty.
1: I, like I saw this <laughs> I, I listened to that. Like there was there was a comparison of this one scene in Morbius and one scene in Batman Begins, and. They basically rip off the score completely from that movie. I don't know how they got away with this.
0: Well, who knows? It's, Maybe it's they crazy. haven't. Maybe they're going to get sued. We'll
1: find it's, out. <laughs> it's wild.
0: But yeah, that, that that movie was so bad. And I just I can't imagine that I will see anything worse than that. Because I'm usually pretty good at avoiding movies I know I'm going to hate. So, <laughs> But that's what I've watched recently. Um, the other thing that happened since our last show... Uh, was the Oscars and uh, yes uh, you may have tuned in to watch us give predictions unfortunately we had some complications arise and we weren't actually able to finish that episode so we are sorry about that uh, suffice it to say that we were all right
1: <laughs> we yeah. were right about yes. every prediction yep <laughs> pretty much uh, as was everyone <laughs> yeah
0: it was uh, but that's what we're going to talk about now is our Oscars reactions um, so we'll start off with just the, the show itself uh, I'll, I'll start with Josh what did you think about the show?
2: It was really bad. Like it was, it was really bad. It was bleak. Um, yep. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not usually. I, I'm usually the biggest defender of the Oscars, and uh, I, I watch every year, regardless of who's hosting or what's nominated. And um, it was tough. It was really tough. Uh, I thought Amy Schumer's solo monologue was good. Um, yeah. Every other comedic bit didn't work for me, though. Besides, just her opening solo monologue. You didn't like um, Amy
1: Spider Man. That's, that's a joke. <laughs> no? it, was, it was it was bad. It was, um,
2: yeah. I thought her seat filler bit with Kirsten Dunst was, was pretty good. A lot of people didn't like that. I thought it was all right, though. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, though, uh, it was way too long. And, like, the stuff that, like, you know, some. Uh, I'm not the first person to say this, but, like, when they were decided to remove some categories and put them as pre-taped segments, that immediately adds way more scrutiny to whatever they do instead of showing those categories live. And so, like, the... Twenty-eight years later reunion for Pulp Fiction and the thirty-five years later reunion for White Men Can't Jump, uh, the Godfather stuff like that was the right idea I think like I like mm-hmm. the idea of like honoring past winners or nominees because that's like kind of you're celebrating movies that's the whole point of this but like just like putting Wesley Snipes and Rosie Perez and Woody Harrelson on stage together to like awkwardly banter just wasn't the way to do it I I thought and it no. was just,
1: I don't know it was it wasn't good it was one of the worst auto broadcast, I've seen in many, many it's like also they spent time on that fan voting thing. And we got Zack Snyder as we the big the Flash winner of the, the fan the, stuff. The time like it's or like,
0: yeah, what? <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: That was a really Why did they do that? And Back <laughs> backfire. Yeah.
0: yeah. I think there's a way to do those honoring the, the past movies thing. And I, agree. I think it's in pre-cut segments, like actually mm-hmm. do like sit yeah. down and do a little interview so that you can actually put together the yeah. best comments that they have in a short little, you know, segment. Yeah. Uh, to play before going to a commercial break or something like that. Because I think doing it live is awkward. It's, it's just, it's yeah. just flat-out awkward. Yeah. And then the comedians were... I, I thought that they were humorous, but rarely was it like, oh, this was worth not <laughs> having those other categories get there full-time. Mm-hmm. Or, you right. know, I, I was never like, oh, I'm glad that I got to see DJ Khaled come out on stage... And that
1: was horrible. <laughs> it was I, so bad. I hated that. What I hated was that? that. And it, it was non. It was nonsense. And and the thing is, they going. hyped it up on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Remember when they hyped it up? Oh, we got DJ Khaled. He, he was on screen for 15 seconds just to say a few things. I don't. I don't get it. And it was a really bad 15 seconds. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah really it was like it was just jarring. But we, we um, had time for that. But we don't have time
0: for the drive my car people to get a full speech. Oh my god, know, yeah. After their <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, that's just not uh, not what I want. And I, I talked about this on Twitter uh, a little bit. And I know you guys are already aware of it, but I just I don't know who this show is for anymore. Like who are mm-hmm. they who are they broadcasting the Oscars for? If it was I mean, for they're... movie lovers, then that should be the focus. But if it's for the general audience, well, then they need to work harder on making the general audience like these movies because there's a disconnect. I mean, they're trying.
2: They're they're trying. Once upon a time, like in the, within the last ten years, forty million people watched the Oscars. Yeah. And I think what they're trying to do is chase the thirty million viewers they lost because right now they're floating around ten or fifteen million viewers, and so they're trying to court those people back, and they're not, they're not coming back, and and they are courting those people, and and alienating their
1: core audience. I think at the same time, and it's just yeah. It's really bad. <laughs> it's really, think, really bad. I think the issue, Grizz, is that they don't know who the audience is. Like, it's not that just you don't get... Because from the show, it I think it's clear that they, they're they trying to do this catch-all thing that isn't working for anyone. It's well, just kind of bad. And I think, they, I think um,
0: in their heart of hearts, they know that the people who are going to watch the Oscars are people like us. Uh, you know, yeah. And then also the people who are really into fashion. Those are the people who are going to <laughs> tune yeah. in. Watch the Oscars stuff, uh, and so unfortunately, I think that they are also just aware that that is not a large enough viewership for the amount of money they put into it. So that's why they're 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 having to hit you know other markets, you know, snag some other people. Uh, but uh, I like like that's Justin, how you I, get
2: Puff Daddy introducing the Godfather segment. Yeah, exactly, yeah, um, or, whatever, or whatever name he's going by now.
1: It's just not going to work that way. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, and another thing for me was like, just like the idea was to shorten the show by cutting some of these categories. The show was longer than it had been in, what twenty years? I'm not uh, like five or five or six years, I think. But right, right. it was the longest let... since five years, but it was the second longest in twenty or something. They did like let that, Will Smith right. go on like a ten-minute yeah. rant in his
2: in his acceptance speech?
1: Six-minute acceptance speech, yes. Okay, still quite long. Who was this? There's Sorry. Oh, it was Will, Will Smith? Smith. Will Smith acceptance yeah. Speech. Will Smith acceptance speech was six minutes, <laughs> and they kicked Hamaguchi off stage. That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> like it's, it was, it was all over the place. Um, and like, and the thing is, like, one of the the biggest, I mean, in terms of how many awards it got, Dune was the biggest winner of the night. Obviously, it didn't get the more prestigious awards, uh, as as we think about them, I guess. But it still won six Oscars. Five of those were not broadcast live, like what are we doing? It's, it's, it's weird. Cause it's like not, you're not celebrating. It's like, it's very clear that they tried to keep the stuff that had to do with celebrities at the forefront. And, and that's the you issue. Know, Hamaguchi, Hamaguchi is this Japanese director that, you know, the average person that watches movie maybe doesn't, hasn't even heard of. And so he gets 30 seconds, but like Will Smith, despite, you know, also the aggravating situations, which we might not want to dive into gets a six minute speech where he's just saying words honestly like i have no idea what he was talking about but honestly i think they gave him six minutes because because i get it i understand uh, that he's got to say something
0: let's let him say i get it
1: no i get that but it's like it it's clear that they completely lost control of the show and it ended up almost being four hours where they would just they didn't know what what was going on and I don't know. I feel like I feel like there are ways in which you can get like because I feel like there are film people who at this point don't care about the Oscars anymore. People who do watch movies yeah. who do would care if the show was better. Like I feel like if they could somehow make the show two and a half hours and but in a way that it still celebrates what it's supposed to celebrate. And there was also another thing for me which is some of the comedy was like punching down on other movies that released uh, this year. There yeah, was some punching down didn't, on didn't like there was, that. It was punching down on against the last duel, they was punching down against animation in general. Like there were jokes about oh you have to sit with your kids and like animation is just for children. Like when they were introducing the best animated feature category Introducing
2: yeah. the category, the joke was these are movies that kids love that adults have to put up with. And I'm like, fuck you, what
1: are you doing?
0: Yeah, they what clearly did
1: not watch Flea, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah by the way but I mean even regardless of flea like it's just like what are we isn't the point of this that we are here to celebrate and it's it, it felt like yeah no, not to make jokes
2: about like what the dumbest people think about animation you know that's not yeah. what animated movies are it, they're
1: trying to do this populist thing by assuming that what they're doing. They're apologizing thing... for their product in real time and yeah. that's just like that's horrible and
2: if you want you know? if yeah. you wonder
0: why people have this image that animation is purely for children it's stuff like that. That is why, but it's like you yeah. said earlier, Hugo. That it, it, they're celebrating. They're celebrating celebrity and not celebrating movies. Yeah. And and this is supposed to be a celebration of movies. And they tell us this is supposed to be a celebration of movies. So, I'm hoping that next year they will take some cues from this year and take a step back towards, you know, actually discussing and celebrating the movies that came out that year and not so much bringing on random celebrities who have literally nothing to do with any of the movies nominated, let alone any movies, period. But yeah, that's the show. Let's we, talk about we the have winners. One? Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll just kick it off with Best Picture, because that's, that's the, the big one. Uh, how do you feel about Coda winning Best Picture? Josh?
2: Um... Uh, I mean, whatever. Like, I, I liked Coda just fine. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think in ten years this will be a Best Picture award that will have aged particularly well. Not because is like, actively bad, just because it's kind of just, like, a nice little movie that people kind of randomly decide to rally around. Yeah. Um Sean Fantasy on the Ringer compared it to The Artist's Best Picture win, mm-hmm. which, again, is another, like, feel-good movie that people kind of just, like, collectively decided, yeah, this makes me feel good. Let's but give it Best Picture. The Artist picture. was and
0: also, then, like, unique in terms of it being a silent film in a modern era that's... You Know that sets it apart sure. in you know in movie history a little bit, uh, and Coda is I to guess. That, some extent has a little bit of that as well. But I'm, I'm with you, but I don't like think it's going to be one that they look two, back
2: on. Two or three years later, no one's looking back at 2011 and being like, Yeah, that the artist was so so good. I'm so glad we gave the best picture. Everyone kind of just like shrugs and says, Oh, yeah, I forgot about that movie. Yeah, that movie made me feel good for five minutes. Like, that's kind of how people see the artist. I think that'll probably be how people feel about Coda in a few years. Uh, I like it though, I think it's good, just you know. I know there's a lot of a lot of really good options to get best picture, and that wasn't you know wasn't the one for me. I'm glad James Campion won best director, though. Yes, um, agreed. Of all the of all the winners, like Campion winning best director, Greg Fisher Greg Fraser winning best cinematography, Joe Walker mm-hmm. winning best editor. Those are cool, but beyond that, kinda, I kind of I kind of shrug. Uh, Troy Kotzer winning supporting actor is cool. Yeah. I, I, I like Ariana DeBose in West Side Story. Um, that's kind of it, though. Every other every other win, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Here you
1: go. Yeah, I think I'm not like I think it was so predictable. It felt every category. It felt, oh, yeah, this is this is the one that's going to win. And we knew it. And it in and, and there was no nothing that completely stood out for me. Like I with all the categories I was like, yeah, I guess that's fine. But it it was very rarely my pick. For example. Well last
2: last year, Hugo, to your point about predictability, last year yeah. the Vegas favorite lost six categories. So if you just went against the Vegas odds, you would have gotten seventeen out of twenty three. This year I think it was twenty one out of twenty three mm-hmm. went to the Vegas favorite. So it was pretty much straight chalk all night. So like yeah. very few surprises.
1: I and mean, also like I there was some there were a few that I, where I was really hoping for a surprise. Like I was really hoping yeah. for Paul Thomas Anderson to get a writing um, Oscar, I think that would have been. He was technically made... the favorite, actually. He was he was barely the Vegas favorite. So that was one of the times where yeah. the not that would have been. One. I think I know. I mean, I know he was the favorite, but it still somehow Paul Thomas Anderson still feels like a kind of an outsider to the Oscars. I don't mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. how that mm-hmm. works because mm-hmm. like he's one of the most celebrated American directors of our time, and it still feels like he's an underdog in those situations. I don't know exactly how that works, but like I was hoping for him to have that moment because that would have been cool. Yeah, and too. I think I think it would also have been a really great crowd moment because i think people who work in cinema love paul thomas anderson um but i mean it went to brana which i guess is fine this and was his I, what I liked, his I liked eighth
0: Belfast. eighth nomination
1: yeah he had brana. a lot of nominations and it felt you know again it feels like one of those inevitability uh oscars where it's like oh he's been nominated so many times before and this movie's yeah. good we like it was a favorite so earlier like, i don't feel bad about season, him winning like but no, he, but, wasn't like, my,
0: he wasn't my pick.
1: <laughs> exactly, like in most of the time, I felt that way. It was like, oh yeah, this is fine, but it's not my pick. And I was hoping we would get a bit more.
0: Honestly, surprises. the, the surprise, the biggest surprise of the night to me was in mm. Best Animated Short, <laughs>
1: where the windshield wiper yeah, won. Big surprise.
0: Yep, that was a shock.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like. <sighs> But you most know? people
0: haven't seen the, those shorts, so they're, yeah, they're exactly. not gonna they're not gonna
1: realize what
0: a big surprise that was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I ultimately, I, I I just looked up my scorecard. I missed four on the night, uh, which you know is am- among the my better years overall. <laughs> I also
2: missed four. Yeah, same nineteen out twenty
0: three. Uh, and honestly, you know the screenplays. I missed both screenplays. I missed the short film and I missed best picture. And I think, uh, if I would trusted the hype train that was rolling towards Coda going in, but I just thought, no, maybe, maybe power. of The dog will hang on.
2: <laughs> it won the SAG award. Best cast. It won the PGA award. It won the WGA award. When the guilds point to best picture, trust the guilds.
1: And that's, yeah, yeah. I know, but yeah, in any case, uh, other, Which is oh, not like, And I feel like it, it even puts... Sorry to interrupt again, but like, I feel like it even puts something on the shoulders of Coda where people will mostly remember this movie for, uh, I mean, yeah, one best picture, but was it really that good and and not as, oh, that was a really feel-good movie that we'll remember fondly. Like, I feel like once you give it best picture, you put something on it that maybe makes it age worse than it than it actually would by itself. I agree. It, it, it's it, it's, it's I a know. little
0: added pressure... And obviously, yeah, it's, it's like, in the hands of fate now because there's there's nothing they can do to change the pressure no. that's on the film. But uh, it's a good movie. Code is a good movie. Yeah. Uh, it's good. I'm not, yeah, I'm not unhappy is. with it winning. Uh, it's, it's just yeah. it's going to be one of those Oscars. It's le- I think it's less controversial for people than Green Book, but you know, mm, yeah. But it's still going to be in that so. sort of category where it's like, okay, well, you know, that was it was a fine movie. It was good. Uh, yeah. But uh, we'll see. Uh, And then uh, we're just going to move on because nothing else happened at the
1: Oscars. No. Uh, So (laughs) now we're moving on. There were no events. It was a very uneventful Oscars. (laughs) (laughs) Very predictable, as we said. Yes.
0: Obviously, we're skipping that stuff because it's been talked to death. And at this point, there's no new takes. So we're moving on. (laughs) Uh, We are talking about our film to remember... Uh, for this week, which is the, like I said earlier, the 1990s classic comedy My Cousin Vinny. Boo uh, woo. My Cousin Vinny, released March 13th, 1992, directed by Jonathan Lynn, who uh, before that had also directed Clue, uh, which is his that other movie. big success movie, uh, and was written by Dale Launer, who also wrote Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which is another. You know, very popular movie from that time. Uh, it had a budget of eleven million, a gross of fifty-two point nine million in the U.S. and Canada, and a worldwide sixty-four million. Uh, that's a pretty good success.
2: Can we do a real quick box office breakdown for opening weekend. Please really, do it really quick. Uh, so it opened number two to seven point four million. Uh, any guess what could be number one? It's been out for five weeks already in nineteen ninety-two. Another big comedy that was very very successful in Uh-oh. ninety-two. One of my favorite I movies.
0: Guess. I'm gonna. If I would guess, but I'll feel stupid getting the wrong one. So Go just tell guess.
2: me. City Slickers. Oh, uh, Wayne's World. Oh, Wayne's World. Wayne's World in it. its fifth week, still oh. holding on to number one. Well, you're City uh, Slickers. Come that, out? That's why I'm gonna feel stupid. because
0: I'm not sure. It came no, out City Slickers.
2: Like... I think it was. I think it was ninety-one, 91 ninety-two-ish. <laughs> yeah, around there. Um, I haven't heard of anything else in the top five besides number five, which is Fried Green Tomatoes, and it's twelfth week. Hanging at number five, Fragment wow. Tomatoes, 12th week. Damn. Yeah, I didn't know that movie had that much likes. But yeah, Michael Zabini, open number two, Behind Wings World. That's a, that's a great one-two weekend. You that's could have gone to the movies weekend. and seen both those movies <laughs> in March of uh, 1992. Well,
0: and uh, it's, like I say, it's a, a classic. And I think it's become more of a classic in the eyes of the general movie-viewing audience. But uh, at the time, it probably wasn't considered an instant classic by any means. Uh, but... The American Bar Association Journal has since ranked it number three on its list of the 25 greatest legal movies,
2: which uh, is pretty that's, cool. That's funny. <laughs> what, what are one and two? I didn't look it up. <laughs> is I, it I, like I, To Kill I, a Mockingbird, probably? It, or? It's probably
0: like To Kill a Mockingbird and uh, uh, 12 Angry Men, is going to be my guess. If, you, if one of you guys wants to look it up, those are my, my guesses for it. But I'm gonna uh, do
1: uh, do it. yeah,
0: I'm going to do it. <laughs> but, you uh, keep going. While you're looking that up, uh, director Jonathan Lynn. Has a law degree from Cambridge University. Uh, and so he insisted on this movie having uh, accurate courtroom proceedings, uh, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. But because of this, it is frequently screened at law schools to illustrate courtroom procedure, which I think is like something really cool just in general to do with movies. But to do it with a comedy kind of sets it apart for me a little bit.
2: I think I could handle law school if that's just like watching My Cousin Vinny over and over again. Like I could, <laughs> I, could, I could go to law school. I could go to law school watch My Cousin Vinny. Yeah. Maybe watch a yeah, few so
0: good
1: men. Maybe watch The Firm. And number,
0: then you're ready. You're, that, you're ready for the bar.
1: <laughs> this list is funny. Um, okay, give it to us. So, uh, number one, To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay. Number Two, called it tw- 12 Angry Men. There it is. You called it make, <laughs> makes complete sense. And then it's like all of these movies are like classics from the 50s and 60s. And then my cousin Vinny and number three, because <laughs> like <laughs> number four, you have Anatomy. Of, Anatomy of a murder, 1950. anatomy. Sorry, the word is Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. Inherit the Wind, nineteen sixty, Witness mm-hmm. for the Persecution, nineteen fifty seven. Um Break Moran Breaker Morant, a movie that I haven't heard of, nineteen eighty. Philadelphia, nineteen ninety three, great movie. Uh, Aaron Brockovich, two thousand. So you get more, I guess, more recent uh, as the you go down way. the list. But, like, <laughs> the top ten is mostly classics from the 50s and 60s and, and My Cousin Vinny, which I find <laughs> awesome. It's delightful. That's, yeah, it's lovely. Uh,
0: well, so the, the premise of the movie is uh, Bill Gambini and Stanley Rothenstein, played by Ralph Macchio and Mitchell Whitfield, are two friends from NYU who have decided to drive through the South because the weather is going to be nicer on their way to UCLA. While on their trip, they stop at the Sack of Suds to pick up some food and carry on their way. Uh, Bill forgets to pay for a can of tuna, so when the police pull them over, uh, he assumes that is the reason for it. But in reality, they are arresting him for the murder of the clerk at the Sack of Suds. Uh, I shot the clerk.
2: I I shot the clerk. clerk. I shot the clerk. I shot the clerk. (laughs) clerk? That's his confession.
0: (laughs) Uh, due to this misunderstanding, Bill and Stanley accidentally confess to the crime of murder and accessory to murder, thinking that they are confessing to tuna theft. <laughs> right. After the arrest, they have to get a lawyer, but Stanley's family can't help, and Bill's family can't afford anyone else, so they turn to who else but the good old cousin Vinny, who has recently become we got a lawyer, lawyer in the family. We got a lawyer. In <laughs> we the got family. a lawyer in the family. <laughs> and uh, and of course that uh, is the the setup is then cousin vinny comes to town uh, to plead his you know cousin's case and uh yeah, let's dive into our discussion uh what are your yeah. general thoughts on the movie i want to start with hugo cuz i this is hugo's first time watching the film
1: it is yeah um i had a great time i i went in uh kind of thinking oh, i don't know 90s comedy will this you know will this feel weird for me cuz i like I wasn't even born. It's it's a very American movie. Like I don't know if the if the comedy is going to translate, and um, I feel like for the first like twenty minutes to half an hour, I was kind of like oh, maybe maybe I'm not that into this. And then once the movie gets going with the legal proceedings, I I was I was just laughing, having a great time, and and especially the second half of the movie just becomes so cathartic for me. Um, cause it's like this bumbling guy who somehow manages to make it work. And like, uh, by the end of the movie, he's just destroying his adversaries. And it, it's, it's really cathartic and, and, and fun. Like I was excited. I was alone in my couch and I was like, yes, got him. Like every time he would get to the next witness and destroy them. I was like, yes, these, these dumb asses. Like it's, it was great. I had a great time. Uh,
0: Josh, what do you think on My Cousin Vinny?
2: I love it, man. It's so good. Yeah, it's a Stone Cold classic. Uh it's funny that Hugo said he was worried it wouldn't translate. I think it you know, it's a it's a fish out of water story. I feel like those translate pretty yeah. pretty well. Just like you don't the whole point is that we and Vinny are not familiar with like the customs of the deep south. And that's kinda like the whole idea, is like him. Learning all these things, and like if you're lear- you, if you're familiar with him already, great. Then you're ahead of him and laughing at him. Or you are also not familiar with the stuff in the south, and you're with him as he learns the new exactly. things. So like, either way, you know it, it just really works. Um, and I'm, I was gonna say this later, but I'll just say it now. Like, it, I I really like this because the, again, they don't they don't make this anymore. You know, kind of like Deepwater Water, mm. as I said yeah. earlier. Like this is the kind of movie they made ten or twenty of a year back in the day, just like a mid budget fish out of water, clear, concise setup comedy starring a, you know, a famous person that they just kind of throw into a situation. Um, one of my favorite movies of all time is happy Gilmore. That's another nineties fish out of water comedy. Uh, another one of my favorite movies of all time, Tommy boy, another fish out of water, uh, nineties comedy with a star at the center of the frame. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just really good. Really well executed. I love I, it.
0: I think they don't make these kind of movies anymore. Uh, just because, uh, there are so many people who have latched on to these 90s movies like Tommy boy and my cousin Vinny and all that and so that any movie that comes out it's just not it's just gonna pale in comparison to them uh, compared to those those classics and so I think there will be a time where this sort of movie might be able to make a comeback but we'll see mm-hmm. uh, Hugo what did you want to add
1: uh yeah I was just thinking like I agree that the fish out of water story is what what works universally but I like I when you told me, when you decided that we were going to watch this movie, I, I had barely heard of it. Like, I've heard the title, mm. but I didn't know anything about the premise. Like, as you saw even in the box of it, it, it only made, what, 11 million in the rest of the world, outside of America? So it's not yeah. like... it's I, I had barely heard of it. I didn't know who was in it. Like, I, I started the movie not knowing that Joe Pesci was in it, and then I saw him in the credits, and I was like, oh, okay. That, that's what we're doing. Like, I, I just started the movie. I was like, oh, okay, comedy. I don't need to know about the premise. So it was like... It was really interesting to actually discover this movie as I was going because I had no idea what what even the premise of the movie was like. I so I think that's why at the beginning I was a little like trepidation. I had some trepidations about going back to nineties comedy and whether it would work. But then when when the fish out of water actually starts, it it, it worked fine. So
2: that's that's another thing I want to comment on, especially if you didn't know the premise going in. the setup here is extremely, extremely well done, and like just even, even titling the movie what they title it is also kind of like a stroke of genius in its own way because, uh, you know you get your the, the opening ten minutes is you know we follow uh the the two kids two guys in the convenience store driving to the south etc. They get arrested, uh, they get their phone call, and then like almost exactly the ten minute mark they have that you know they already real, they already learned they're getting charged with murder, and uh Ralph Macchio says to his companion, "We got a lawyer in the family." Who? My cousin Vinny. And then it immediately <laughs> yeah. cuts to Vinny and Marissa Tomei driving into town. And at that point, you already know exactly what this movie is, exactly where it's going. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a fish-out-of-water lawyer from New York coming down to Alabama to defend these kids in a murder trial. And, like, that's a, at, at the 10-minute mark, you know exactly what the next yeah. hour 40 is going to be. And it's, it's just, like, really, really well done. Well, yes. Yeah, so...
0: Um the next question I wanted to ask was have you seen this movie before uh obviously uh, Hugo has not Josh you've you've seen it you know how many times do you think you've seen this movie
2: start to finish maybe only like three or four but um it's one of those that I feel like is on cable a lot it's got a lot of (laughs) a lot of cable broadcast in the U.S. and uh there's, a, there's another podcast that I'm a big fan of called The Rewatchables on The Ringer that basically talks about those movies that are on cable a lot that you just kind of catch bits and pieces of all the time. And they have a, a category in that podcast called Most Rewatchable Scene, where basically if you turn mm-hmm. turn the TV on, you see that this movie's playing, and you think to yourself, oh, this scene's coming up. I'll, I'll wait 15 minutes to go to the grocery store so I can just like stick around and watch this scene. Yeah, Marissa Tomei on the witness stand at the end of the movie is maybe yep. like – it's among the most quintessential rewatchable scenes where if like i flip to the channels, I see my cousin Vinny's on. If I'm within half an hour of her going up on the stand, I'm going to watch it. And so like I've seen I've, – all to say I've seen bits and pieces of this movie maybe close to a dozen times. But I've only seen it start to finish maybe three or four times.
0: So I, that's exactly what I was going to say as well. For me, this was a movie yeah. that whenever it was on cable, I would just start watching it. Because I know if – it's like Hugo said, it kind of starts off a little uh, slow. Uh, and mm-hmm. not a lot, not really clear on what to expect from the movie in the first you know in the first twenty minutes or so with Ralph Macchio and uh, and his buddy. Uh, <laughs> so then once you get to the part where Joe Pesci is lawyering, from then on the movie is fantastic. So it, yeah. it, when I tuned in and I see if I see that, that they are in a courtroom or in one of the hotels. I'm like, okay, I can watch from here on and I'm going to have a good time because it, it's <laughs> yeah. all good. Uh, but uh, so what I the other question I want to ask is what makes this movie special in the pantheon of comedies? Because we've talked about there are a lot of these fish-out-of-water uh, stories. What makes this one unique? Josh?
2: I think, a, well, first of all, I think it's among Joe Pesci's first starring roles. I was kind of just paging through his 90B. He'd been like a... He's in a lot of supporting stuff. You know, obviously he's he won supporting actor for Goodfellas a couple years before this. You know, he's great supporting in Raging Bull, Once Upon a Time in, the, in America, um, Home Alone right before this. Um, JFK, uh, just a crazy, crazy performance in JFK where he's only in like three or four scenes, but he, uh, wow, uh, what a movie, what a performance. Um, and like you know, I think he'd been in the center of the frame a couple of times in like something like The Landlord or something like that, but like. This was like the big one, I think, and like when I think of Joe Pesci lead roles, this is kind of like the only one that I can think of, honestly. Um, so I think like you know a beloved actor, that have been around for a while, they put him in something good, um, but really I think I think the Fish Out of Water thing is a, a big part of it. Like you know, what I think the at least for me when I think of this movie, I think of um, you know the grit scene, and I think of two utes and that kind of yeah. stuff and those are like the the fish out of water elements. And yeah, like the the testimony at the end is is really good, but you know, I think the the enduring legacy of the movie is like the New Yorker guy in Alabama, the Yankee in Alabama. So, what do you think, Grizz? Well, you know, it, a lot of what you said, I I think it's it's
0: interesting to me that this ends up being Joe Pesci's basically his only lead role cuz he Kind of knocks it out of, of the notes park. At least it's the only one of note. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, he, re- I really think he knocked it out of the park. He's he's still you know the tough guy you know Italian American Joe Pesci that you've loved from several of his other roles. But he's funny how, funny how, funny like a clown, <laughs> like I amuse you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, that's that's part of why it works. Is like he is playing a Joe Pesci type, and like yeah. what's what's the most outrageous kind of character you could see. Being a defense lawyer in the deep, deep South in Alabama, a Joe Pesci type would be pretty entertaining. So let's see what happens there. That's you know, it's exactly what you get on the box, you know.
0: And he he absolutely kills it. It's you know, so I suppose the only thing that that I could have seen maybe uh, is like maybe if they did a, a Cousin Vinny sequel with uh, you know <laughs> Joe Pesci's now. Uh, honestly, they could still do this. Joe Pesci's a judge now. <laughs> I, I can see the movie that could happen. But <laughs> Marissa Tomei
2: shows up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, the same. According to, like, according <laughs> to Wikipedia, according to the Wikipedia page, they talked about a sequel in 2012, but Marissa Tomei dropped out. Nah. Um, but eventually the, pro- eventually the project was shelved. So
0: I'm just saying, side. make it happen because they, <laughs> they are such a great couple. Yeah. Uh, that's well, the other thing that I think uh, makes this stand out is that uh, both the, the male, and, uh, male lead and the female leads, they are. Both so strong in their performances here that they balance each other brilliantly, and they go off of each other brilliantly, and uh, so I think that's another thing that uh, makes it stand out because it's not just Joe. This is not just Joe Pesci's moment to shine. In fact, it's very much Bruce Tomei's moment to shine as well, uh, which is going to bring me into the next s- section that we're talking about here. All the performances we've been talking about Joe Pesci a little bit. Uh, but I wanted to talk more about Marisa Tomei because of obvious things like her winning the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress uh, for her performance in this movie.
1: Uh, wild to, to
0: think about uh, a yeah. comedy <laughs> performance.
1: <laughs> I, I didn't know this. Like, I just saw this on the outline of the podcast and I was like, what? Really? For real? That's awesome. <laughs> like, that's great.
0: And so that's what I wanted to ask about Marissa Tomei as Mona Lisa Vito. Does it make sense that she won Best Supporting Actress? I'm, obviously, I'm happy about it because yeah. I love this performance so much. But I, I wanted to give you guys the other nominees from the 65th Academy Awards. Uh, it was Marissa Tomei for My Cousin Vinny, Judy Davis for Husbands and Wives, Joan Plowright for Enchanted April, Vanessa Redgrave for Howard's End, and Miranda Richardson for Damage. So I'm looking at that list of movies. And I gotta say, yeah, no, that that makes sense. My cousin Vinny's the only movie I've heard of. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, I I feel like I'm out of my depth because I, I I haven't seen those other movies, so I I can only comment on her being awesome in this. Um, but I do agree that for the most part, uh, com- comedies, especially in terms of like performances, really do not get any love uh, awards shows. Like to the point where somehow you'll get a weird thing where like, even at the Golden Globes, which don't even matter, that you'll have musical comedy, and then you get movies like, I don't know, I think, what was it? Uh, the, Martian the Martian was nominated as a comedy. Like, it's just like, oh, okay. Like, we're, we're just straight comedies that kind of get ignored. And I think that's sad, because, like, a really good comedy is something that we should appreciate more, because we don't actually get that many of them anymore. Um, I think she's awesome in this. Like, she's, she's for me especially, like before Vinny kind of goes to a turn and he becomes he becomes more confident in himself and starts, like, actually nailing all the witnesses, I actually find her performance to be more engaging and, and funnier as well. Like, when she's funny, she's extremely funny to me. Um, and she works really well. And I think, just the over-the-top accents, like, I, I, know that, I don't know if it's true that people talk that way as much as they do in sure. the movie. Some um, do. But... Yeah, great. And they're awesome. Like, it's funny. There's there's something just inherently funny about that. You and Skylark! Especially, Skylock. especially <laughs> in the South, in that setting. It's just like, it. she's great. And I and I like the fact that she's not just there to be, oh, over-the-top New Jersey woman. Like, she, she actually then has an active role and helps out in a way. Like, despite Vinny pushing back against her, she's like, manages to find a way to be useful to this.
0: Which is cool. One thing I wanted to touch on was the accents being so pronounced for both Joe Pesci and Marissa Tomei are made that much more brilliant by how pronounced the southern accents are (laughs) for so many of the characters from the town in Alabama. Uh, And I think that that juxtaposition was brilliant because, you know, there's – I mean, it's honestly, it's the only way you could do it because if you – Don't really emphasize the southernness, then you're not achieving the full fish out of water experience that makes this movie work so well. Um, Hugo, you already touched on it a bit uh, that you know the comedies don't really get considered for awards very much, Uh, and you know do do you guys think that they should? I think they're good. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah. So I think is but like what is what kind of comedy is good enough? to get a consideration for Academy Awards. Like, look at, like, Anchorman, one of the most mm. quotable movies for people of my generation, right? You know, every every man in my generation, you know, has sat around a table with their buds just quoting Anchorman for, you know, 15, 20 minutes. There's no <laughs> way that Anchorman would ever be considered for an Oscar, and I would never suggest that it should. So, but it's still one of the well, greatest comedies. And that's that's the why thing. Why wouldn't you
2: suggest that it should?
0: Because I don't... I don't know how to work in those performances with the other performances. They're so mm. diametrically opposed that while their comedic performance is brilliant, it is excellent, and it achieves everything that they want, it's just so different from every other movie being considered for Oscars that when you put them together, it almost makes the concept laughable to say that these are you know, the same thing. Because you know they're not. So in that respect, yeah. I kind of like that the Golden Globes does honor comedies uh, separately. In a separate it, category, yeah. But like Hugo is also saying that 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 they force some movies into comedy <laughs> that are not, and so then that defeats the purpose to me. Because that's why it's so funny that The Martian got nominated as a comedy. Because yes, The Martian has some very good humor, but a man uh, left to die on Mars is not the <laughs> setup. Of a comedy, <laughs> so um, I don't know. Josh, is there is there a, a you know, do you have a, a, an idea of what kind of how a comedy could get proper treatment at the Oscars? Um,
2: I, well, I, I think that you know the reason that they haven't historically is you know it's my my assumptions is probably the same as yours, and that's the, you know the Academy is kind of stuffy it and fancies itself. Uh, you know, high importance, and therefore prefers to reward dramas instead of comedies to kind of like you know again confer importance onto their own organization. And whether that's misguided, that's a discussion we can have. But the academy is also changing pretty dramatically uh, in terms of its personnel. You know, even five years ago, it was six thousand people, eighty percent of which were white men over the age of fifty. And now there's ten thousand members, and it's a lot different demographically. So like. What an Oscar movie is and the kind of movie they choose to honor is kind of changing rapidly in real time, and it's hard for us to get a grasp on. But, like, in terms of like the historical stuff of the comedies, like, you know, something like Bridesmaids was nominated for Best Screenplay and hmm. Best Supporting Actress for um, Melissa McCarthy, and, you know, uh, Tropic Thunder, Rob Dyne Jr. was nominated for Best Supporting That's Actor true. in Tropic Thunder. So like but, you know, those are also fifteen years ago at this point, but you know, I think that the things there is it was comedy but also like something else on top of it, like the fact that Tribe of Thunder was a you know, uh industry you know, a lot of insider industry jokes and kind of making fun of the industry itself. Um while also making the people who make movies like the heroes in a war story, you know, so it's kinda of like self flattery but also self deprecation. Then like, you know, Bridesmaids was like a female-led comedy. I think they wanted to reward that to, you know, show a little progressiveness, which, you know, again, if you want to call that misguided, we can have that discussion. But, yeah, I mean, like, so the the short answer is maybe more comedies will be acknowledged in the future because the changing demographics of the Academy and the changing, like, identity of the Academy, but also, like, the things that... The comedies that have historically broken through are usually ones that are, like, comedy plus something else, I think.
0: All I want... Is a uh, best comedy category? Why not? If you're not going to, if they're not going to be able to achieve a, f- a full, uh, equal, you know, treatment I... as as you know for best picture or for best cinematography,
1: uh, mm. you know, then I don't, I don't, well, I don't actually like the separate categories. No, yeah, the then you're person. then you ghettoizing. I feel like... the same with animated exactly. films and international yeah, cause films. Because I feel like you're saying, well, this is this is what good movies are, and then we have this thing and we'll give them an too. award. Like you know what I mean? Like I just for either, me it's like I'd rather them get you something than nothing. Either you do away <laughs> with the concept of best picture, which is not going to happen, and you divide everything in categories and at that point you're like, "Oh, best best uh action adventure sci-fi, best comedy, best drama, best animated," which like to some extent makes more sense because it is like you're comparing things that are more similar to each other instead of trying to like how exactly do you compare, you know, Dune to, I don't know, Coda? Like, it's like, they're fundamentally doing things that are so differently and on completely different scales and with completely different aims. And so it's hard to make that comparison in the first place. But at the same time, I also feel like if we're going to do Best Picture, we should try to include as many genre, as, as genres as possible. And maybe, you know, movies should be judged within their specific genre but at the same time i i also would have a hard time coming up with like a list of like straight comedies that i would consider to be you know um films that i wish were nominated for best picture like i can i don't know like the big sick the big sick is a movie i love it's a comedy but it's like it's also kind of a drama
0: you know what i mean like it's
1: (laughs) it's it has very poignant themes and ideas which like i guess maybe what i'm saying is we're selling comedy short for what it can be also because like comedy doesn't have to just be oh it's funny like my kind co- my cousin Vinny is a case of that's a straight comedy like yeah. it, it's funny um and it's very very good at being funny and uh maybe that should get rewarded more when that happens but a lot of the great comedies that we can think of so- oftentimes like Hybrids, like even you know, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, is it still number one on our list? Like, that's a comedy, but it's like it also has very interesting themes of like coming of age.
0: Because we talked, one of the things we talked about in great detail when we talked about Ferris Bueller's Day Off was its cinematography,
1: cinematography, and (laughs) and like, and even the moments where the movie gets really sad. Like, it's not funny for for two hours straight. Like it, it. there are moments where you know it, it goes into more of a drama direction, yeah. even though it is a comedy. Like it, it's, it's hard. It's not easy.
0: It's not easy. And so, as long as we're changing things at the Oscars, let's get some more uh, some comedy. More comedy comedies yeah. In there. yeah. You know, we'll try to work it in. Uh, well, okay. So now, <laughs> car- carrying on with our list of the cast here, uh, Ralph Macchio as Bill Gambini. I, I wanted to mention that this was his, uh, uh, post Karate Kid trilogy. Uh, he had become a popular name and, and and was one of the top build actors on this
1: film mm. uh did he do anything no. <laughs> he was there like he could have been anyone like i could have played that role because he has five lines like it's <laughs> <laughs> so
0: that, something that a lot of the commentaries about you know uh that i read like like reviews and things were like why was he top build well it's got to be just that at that moment, Ralph Macchio was probably a bigger name than Joe Pesci. I,
1: don't, I, have, to, I have to think. I don't know, man. Maybe. Uh, okay, but, like, I, I can actually maybe see that. Because, like, even, even the, the movies Joe Pesci, Pesci made are stone-cold classics for lovers of films, right? Yeah. But, like... In terms of just popularity of Karate Kid in 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 the eighties, like oh, that was big, right? Yeah,
2: Home Alone was an enormous, enormous, Home enormous Alone success. In that's and true. And it was two years before this. Yeah. That is true. It was a big, also, big, like, big
1: movie. True. How was Goodfellas big? I I, I, I kind of have a hard time uh, figuring out how movies did back in the day because my my experience of the box office is very much the, the 2010s and, and
2: now. Which is, I don't know what kind of box office numbers it did, but I think it was pretty quickly an iconic performance, at the very mm. least, Joe Pesci. Right.
0: Yeah, so I don't Still. know. Uh, that, that's the only thing I could think of, though, is for why it's fun. they would make such a big point of having <laughs> Ralph Macchio build so highly on this. Um, but yeah, uh, his performance was, was nothing. And honestly, uh, Mitchell Whitfield, as Stan Rothenstein, had a more dynamic role... He was, uh, you know, he has that, a whiny... those few
1: scenes where, yeah, he's has a few scenes in the courtroom where he's talking to his own lawyer who ends up being just a, comp- just chokes completely. And he's like, what are you doing? What are you, What are you doing? And he looks at Vinny and Vinny is killing it now. Like, yeah. no, I want him. I want him. Like that, those scenes are good. Like, yeah, and he's,
2: stuff. he's got that funny. He's got the funny scene when Vinny first arrives at the jail. And yeah. That misunderstanding scene. <laughs> it's yeah. a great
0: scene. Ralph Macchio got none of that. Nothing. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that was really good. That's a good scene. Um, Fred Gwynn uh, was Judge Chamberlain Haller. This was his final theatrical role before his passing in 1993. Uh, he's probably best known for being Herman Munster on the Munsters. Uh, which is uh, looking at like looking at I I kind of <laughs> forgot like you know the the amount of makeup and prosthetics you know they actually I don't know like I can see it but you know I was happy to see him not as Herman Munster. I'll just say that. <laughs>
2: Uh, what did you think of his performance? I like the Monsters. Oh, he's fantastic. He's he's really sets the tone of, like, you know, by the book, laws, rules. You know, you must follow these rules. You know, I'm a stickler for rules. And that's a great setup for, like, most of the comedic beats for the next, like, hour, you know, is is, his, is the clash between, uh, you know, Vinny's, you know, uh, non-traditional courtroom manner and uh, a guy who's stickler for the rules. So, yeah, it all works really well. And his deep voice and southern drawl. Yeah, I love it. It,
1: stuff. The contrast of like uh, Joe Pesci's like squeaky New York accent and and this guy who not only sleeps speaks with a very deep voice, but he also like speaks very slowly and uh, you know gives him all the rules and like very calmly reprimands him from the 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 bad behavior that he's doing in the courtroom. Like it, and he's he a was never unfair. not. He is a little unfair, but like I get it. Like I understand. I believe in this character completely. Yes, like,
0: and it's because like. Especially growing up in Texas, which granted is not the exact same as the Deep South in the United States, but uh, when you first meet people from you know the Eastern Seaboard, uh, they have an image in their mind of people in the South, and uh, in the South, you're kind of you kind of grow up with the understanding that people in the North think that the people in the South are stupid. Mm. <laughs> so you got Judge uh, Judge Holler here is. You know, trying to combat that, like right from the start. I know you think that you know, you you know, you high and mighty, you know, East Coast types. You know, <laughs> he's combating that, uh, and that actually represents a very real dynamic uh, in the country,
1: which is which is pretty cool. Um, also, he, he just him as an actor, he has he just has a great face. Like any time you can cut to a close up of him just reacting to something, he's so expressive. And in the context of Joe Pesci being this wild guy, it, it, it creates a lot of, of laughter. Like He's funny because he's so stoic. Um, okay, well, so the other
0: people that I just wanted to touch on was Lane Smith as Jim Trotter. That's the prosecuting attorney. Uh, mm. He's in a good amount of the movie, and I, I like his performance. Uh, I feel like I know him from other things. What, what else would we know him from, Josh?
1: Uh, I don't know. Lane Give me a second, Smith. I'll tell you. <laughs> I'm clicking but, uh, so on uh But, so, while we're looking up uh,
0: Lane Smith, the other one that I wanted to He's in mention... Network. Oh, of course, he's in Network.
1: Yep. He's in Network, he's in Mighty <laughs> oh. Ducks.
2: I know him. I know him from Lois and Clark. He plays uh, the newspaper guy. Oh. So
0: What's his name? he's... Yeah, he was kind of prolific, I guess, <laughs> as it turns out. Yeah. Um, but uh, he's a lot of fun, and he plays the... Like, he's... Uh, a little sexist. Uh, sure,
1: I mean everyone's a, everyone's a little sexist in this movie. Let's yeah. You know, but I mean, SMFs. like,
0: but like he is he is the face of that sexism. I think uh, in his assumption that Mona Lisa is is not an expert. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll get to the scenes here in a bit. But uh, I think that that uh, plays very well. Uh, Austin Pendleton was John Gibbons. That was the uh, public defender. Uh, and I wanted to mention this because he apparently had a stutter as a child and overcame it and then was mm. you know, asked to perform the stutter in this uh, role, which he did. But uh, actually, just a few weeks ago, earlier in March, he uh, was in an, he did an interview regarding My Cousin Vinny, and he said that he regretted doing the role uh, in, in hindsight because of all of the negative response that he had received over the years from numerous stutterers. Uh, who uh, felt that uh, their, you know, and, and rightly so, that their condition was played for laughs. And, uh, you know, especially for a guy who had overcome it himself, he knows how hard that process is. So it, it is interesting because it is humorous and it does set up a, uh, a good moment for Vinny to shine immediately following after this. So, in terms of its content in the movie, it's, it's actually, you know, very good setup. But I can also kind of see the complaint, and, and so I kind of feel for the guy because this is uh, probably his most defining role as an actor, or his most memorable role as an actor, and for a lot of people, it's you know it's upsetting, which you know, bummer. Yeah, um, I did just want to ask: were there any other standout roles for you guys?
2: Yeah, I got a few. Um, our guy Chris Ellis as the guy that owes mona lisa two hundred dollars that <laughs> vinny has to punch out at one point uh i recognize that guy from he's an apollo 13 he is the band manager in that thing you do phil um he's an armageddon he's in you know he he, he pops up here and there catch me if you can uh yep. i know i like that dude he's a good that guy uh he's speaking of that guy's guy bruce guy. mcgill <laughs> yeah yeah and speaking of that guy's bruce mcgill as as the sheriff um Personally, I recognize him as uh, the the guy that they that they con and matchstick men that Sam Rockwell and, and and Nick Cage run their run their grift on. But he's also uh, D-Day in Animal House, uh, the the military guy who rides the motorcycle in Animal House. Um, and he's 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 cropped up in like a bunch of like Michael Mann stuff. He's in Collateral. He's in uh, The Insider and that kind of thing. So he's he's great. And then lastly, the great uh. James Reborn, who uh, passed away a few years ago, but he's the he's the mechanics expert that uh, Mr. Tomei's testimony rebuts. Um, he's great in uh, *Scent of Woman* as the principal. He's great in um, *On Homeland* as uh, Carrie's dad. He was great in um, *Meet the Parents* as the father of the groom. Uh, he's just great. An- another great character actor that crops up in these '90s movies all the time.
0: Well, and so like all around, like. Every performance, uh, every speaking role in this movie, I think was kind of done just perfectly. Like, you know, even though yeah. the people who are supposed to be sort of be bumbling or perceived as a little slow witted, they perform those roles perfectly. And it's so believable. So yeah, I, I, I think that's another thing that carries this movie is how great every performance is. Everyone gives exactly what's needed for their roles. Um, agreed. So that'll bring me to, uh, the, you know, our favorite scenes in the movie, uh, Josh already shouted it out. You know, it's obvious what the greatest scene in this movie is. And it's, uh, it's not even close. Uh honestly, it's when Mona Lisa is on the stand at the end of the movie. Uh and this this scene, this scene wins her an Oscar. Like <laughs> this, yes, it does. this is the moment. Absolutely. Uh but what, what were some of the other uh favorite scenes?
2: Hugo?
1: Um I yeah, I think every scene where he's in, in the courtroom and doing well was my favorite. I was just so excited. It, it just, like, it it's, like, because I was having fun with the movie, but when he started just destroying these people, it just, it elevated it for me. I was like, no, okay, this is great. I love this. Like, it's so much fun. Um, but some of the, like, I think some of the repeating bits actually really worked well for me. Like, the one where he keeps every any place he goes to sleep there's something else that wakes him up like it was never yeah. like i was i never got bored of that somehow it, it it kept being funnier and funnier and like when he eventually like he's thrown in jail cuz he's uh for several times he becomes a, he's uh in contempt court. court so they arrest him and like the one time he finally goes to jail and he's like no i'm just going to stay in jail and get some rest you know what i mean like that's, <laughs> that was great too and um the scene where they first cut the grits cuz i was like i I was there with him. I, I, you know, I was just looking at the scene as like, what, what is a grit? I don't. Know. I look at it and I have no idea what it is, and and I, I thought that was scene was also. Really I'm just
0: fun. a fast cook, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. The payoff of that is the best. Yeah, I mean,
2: the I, Another scene, se- well, yeah. a sequence I love is when he, you know, systematically discredits every eyewitness, but especially the grits guy. That's like. That that's the first bit of courtroom, you know, genius that he pulls out of his butt. And, you know, it's the first time he actually does something really great, and that's like from then on, like that's basically the start of Act Three. And mm-hmm. like from then on, you're like, okay, let's do this. But like mm-hmm. him, him
1: destroying the Grits guy on the stand is fantastic. And and, the and what I also he... really like about sorry about the witnesses is like he he kind of makes fun of all of them. Except for this old black lady who just like she's just blind poor lady and he's really nice to her like she he disproves well, the, the her, judge but... is the butt of that sequence yeah the butt yeah. of the joke
2: in that sequence is the judge
1: yeah he disproves her but like in a very kind way he's not mean to her in the same way that he's mean to these other people like I, I like that.
0: are you telling me that your grits cook faster than the rest of the entire grit cooking world the laws <laughs> of physics don't apply in your kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure about that five minutes? Yeah. Yeah. That was that was a, a, a few good men. That was a moment from a few good men yeah. about grits. <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I also I do as long it. as but another another scene I like is uh you know, Mr. Tomei is obviously great in the same, but I also like her little uh my biological clock is ticking over here. She stops her foot. That's <laughs> that's something I also often think about for this movie is
1: her stop your foot, biological clock ticking. And, even the final scene where they just drive away and she's like, well, why do you think I'm going to marry you? You're a loser. You can't even win by yourself. <laughs> she's like, Please continue to do
2: Italian-American accents. And, and yeah.
1: they start bickering. Like, the bickering is so good. Like, they they ne- sometimes when they do bickering in movies, it, it feels a little forced and it doesn't work. And in this, like, I was never not amused by the bickering. Well,
0: one, one scene that I wanted to shout out as something that I think is, like there, it's one of the, it's emblematic of this movie in that it's it, it's skill at making little moments into like lasting th- images in my mind, and it's just the way that uh, Joe Pesci delivers the line when he's riding in the truck with Trotter to go hunting. He's like, they're sitting there in silence. He's like, well, I sure'd like to get a look at your files. <laughs> and then the guy's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll have I'll have faxed over to you right now. And then he you know comes in, acting all pompous. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> and she's like, Of course he gave you the files. He has
1: to. <laughs> she's like she's actually been reading the book. So she's like, Yeah, he has to. You didn't that's some good swindling that you did there. <laughs> uh,
0: but uh, so we we already talked a little bit about this, uh, Hugo, but uh, we every time we have Italian Americans in movies, mm-hmm. in, usually it's where <laughs> Italian Americans are playing actual Italians. Uh so I just want to ask, are you disappointed by the italian Americans in this movie?
1: <laughs> no, I thought they were great in this they like great in in, this in a movie. com first of all like in a comedy setting it it works second of all what sometimes when it gets annoying with italian Americans in movies is like the movies present them as italians like oh like first generation or my my mum is Italian. I just moved here when I was five and like and they have them speak a lot of Italian. That This is true, like, for Green Book is a recent example of, of this, but like a lot of Monscorsesi films, even The Godfather 2, the parts of that where I'm like, ah, oh, ugh, where they're supposed to be actually Italian and they start speaking Italian and it comes out ridiculous to my ears because I, you know, obviously speak you Italian. understand it. And it just <laughs> takes me, I'm Italian, yeah, and I speak, it just completely takes me out of the movie. But I feel like in this, like, the Italian, we were saying this off mic before we started recording, but like the, the, it's not the Italianness of them that is played up. It's more their, their New Jersey, Brooklyn, uh, thing. Right. So, yeah, yeah, it, it wasn't a problem at all. It was really good. Well,
0: so then the other thing I wanted to ask was, uh, did this fit your image of the American South? Is this, <laughs> did, is, is this what you kind of <laughs> imagine it's like,
1: <laughs> um, I don't really know, like I don't really know if I have an image of the American stuff because like, it's it's difficult, you know, because the stereotypes that you get are obviously so exaggerated, uh, and and like and also contradict, like in somehow contradicting, because like there's this idea of suddenness being very welcoming to people and and kind and 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 you know well mannered and at the same time the 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 opposite is that oh it's it's the most racist parts of the country. And I'm like okay, <laughs> I, I don't I don't really know if I have an image like. But it, it this kind of works like it doesn't really touch on. I don't think it touches on many of those elements as much. It's kind of oh, it's in the south. People have a southern accent, and there's some specific things, but it's not really trying to comment on them too much. I think, I think which I think is good for this movie.
0: It's good for the for the comedy for sure. But yeah. I, I actually I do think this is a fairly good and accurate representation of what it's like well,
1: in exactly. the smaller just regular towns people in the American You know what south. I mean? Like it doesn't it doesn't play up the stuff yeah. about the South that would, people would think. It's more like, how are just regular people in a small town in the South interacting with this weird guy from New York, you know? And, uh, yeah, so it's actually, this is, it, I, I think it's a
0: very good representation of it because some of the characters are welcoming and friendly, like, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, and then others are uh, just confused by what what this guy's doing here and, uh, and then others are more confrontational, like a uh, $200 guy, which I forgot mm-hmm. to say. That is also one of my favorite scenes in the movie where Joe Pesci comes up and freaking flying uppercuts him in the face and it just takes the wad of cash out of his hands. So good. I, I, I love Joe Pesci is like a foot and a half shorter than this guy.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> at so least. Good. Okay. Well, uh, we're going to wrap up here. We've talked a little bit about the ending, uh, you know, uh, already. So we'll just kind of just dive into that. Um, Mona Lisa took some photos earlier in the movie and uh, and we had, there's a fun scene where Joe Pesci's looking through the photos and saying, "Oh, the, the picture of me in the shower. This is the one that's going to crack the case." Thanks, babe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but among these photos, he does find pictures of tire tracks. Uh, and while he's about the, the case is wrapping up, he it's looking like he doesn't have quite enough to to win the case. He notices something in the picture, and then more importantly, knows that Mona Lisa is the person he has to bring on to. To win this case for him. Uh, so he brings her to the stand, forcing her to the stand. She doesn't want anything to do with it, uh, delivering great lines <laughs> like, w- Will you answer his questions? No, I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> All that great stuff. Uh, but then, you know, she gets, Trotter does the determination uh, to make sure she's an expert witness and she absolutely kills it. Uh, and then Vinny begins the questioning and one by one. You know, they pick away how it's impossible that the two boys were responsible for the crime. uh, Ending with the uh, um, sheriff, who you know, of course, has wrongfully arrested these guys, Uh, and so you you kind of expect him to be a little opposed to helping out. But Mm -hmm. you know, it turns out he's a he's a good guy and actually just wants the right people to go to prison. And uh, uh, Joe Pesci has sent him out to find some information, and sure enough. Uh, the car that Mona Lisa tells them on the stand is the only car that could have made these tracks was found in another city, uh, and uh, and they had the gun on it, and they had the gun in the car. Boom, case closed. Uh, everyone celebrates. It, it was fantastic. Uh, so the question is just, how great is this ending?
2: <laughs> so good. It's 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 an all timer for me.
0: It's it for me. It's a lot like when we watched 127 Hours. And it's mm. just as you're building to that ending, it's just you're getting increasingly more hyped, and then it finally hits. Well, you're like, yes!
2: <laughs> especially because especially because the way that Pesci and Tomei both play it, like they're both so pleased with themselves because mm-hmm. they're they're ahead of us. Yeah. Like Joe Pesci, like gets what's going on and like gets so confident and cocky and plays it up, and then eventually she realizes what he where he's going, and she gets confident and cocky and plays it up, and like. We eventually understand why they're so confident and cocky because it is, you know, as Hugo said, fist-pumpingly satisfying. It is and cathartic really as they is. eventually reveal what, what's what here.
1: Yeah, and and I think airtight, airtight defense. I think it's it's made even better by the fact that they had been fighting before this, and she doesn't want to be there. And like eventually, when she actually looks at the photo and figures it out, she's so like she's so. Happy to be able to show off all her knowledge, that she just becomes not mad at him anymore, and they just they have this this kind of companionship. This car had
2: independent rear
1: suspension. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) she's she's incredible in that scene, and and it feels like it yeah, it does feel like one of those fist pumping moments where you're just like you're cheering at your screen, even though it's like this. I don't know, it's like a courtroom procedure, and it's somehow they made it the most satisfying thing you've ever seen in a movie. Um, it, it almost makes you want
0: jury duty. That's how good that it's is. That, it's so good. I wish,
1: like, if, the, if, that, if that's what how courtroom are, courtrooms are. Sign me up. I want to be there. I want to see it live. Um, of course, it's not like that, but you know, it's
0: not like that. No,
1: it's much. Um, um, yeah, <laughs> um, I think the movie in general, like, is really good at setting things up and paying them off. I think that that's a common thing and a lot of, it's a common theme. And I think we say this a lot about some of the movies that we love on the podcast, where a lot of a lot of every piece of setup in this movie has a payoff at the end that works really well, which is very similar to you know Shaun of the Dead for example. It's another comedy we talked about, and um, it all kind of builds on itself, and it builds all to this big moment where you're so excited at them finally nailing it, and it. It's great. It's funny as hell, and 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 you know, really sa- even just on a narrative le- narrative level, it's a really satisfying ending for the story. So Roger Ebert
0: uh, reviewed mm. this film, and I believe he gave it two and a half stars uh, out of four. Out of four, so. uh, which is you know pretty pretty good. But uh, mm. he in his review he said that the movie meanders along, going nowhere in particular, and then lightning strikes. Meaning that mm. the movie was somewhat aimless until the final courtroom moments. Do you agree with that assessment?
1: Um, like, not entirely, but as I said, like, the first, like, half hour, I was like, oh, what was, where are we going with this? Like, I, I did feel like maybe two hours would have, was a little tiny bit too long for this movie. Like, I feel like you could have gotten to the good bits a little sooner. Like, I understand that we have to show him messing up a bunch of times uh, before he eventually, you know, succeeds. Um, But I I feel like if we could, could have gotten there a little faster at the beginning, it would have worked a little better for me. Like for example, like even that scene in the jail where you, that you said, Josh, like I I don't love comedy where the whole point of a comedic bit is miscommunication. Like I don't, it doesn't completely work for me. And I feel like the beginning, like the first half hour of the movie does like, does that like three or four times. So it gets a little repetitive at the beginning. And I feel like, you know, if we could have gotten to the courtroom a little faster, it could have worked better in that sense. But I still thought it was really good. Definitely better than two and a half stars out of four. So, you know.
2: You could maybe cut 10 minutes from this, but, yeah, you know. And it's, I, it's I, sort of I think I like all of those cuts is. would yeah. be
0: at the beginning. You know, just mm-hmm. a little yeah. less time in the sack of suds, a little less time before they get pulled over, Probably. a little less time uh, in the prison, you know, with, uh, you know, I shot the clerk? I shot the clerk. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but but uh, uh, like. so, yeah, I, I don't completely agree because, like, it, he says that, you know, lightning strikes, you know, kind of, you know, implying that it's at the end that the movie hits. For me, the movie starts off, you know, honestly, like, you know, poorly. It's a little slow at the beginning. But then as soon as Vinny hits the courtroom for the first time, which is very early in the movie, I think it's building that entire time. So for me, I, I don't completely agree. I don't think it's a, like a lightning strike. I think there's a slow rumble of thunder and then the lightning <laughs> <Yeah>. strike <laughs> it, with Mona Lisa on the, on the stand at the end. Uh, anything you guys want to add before we put our ranking together?
1: Good movie. Good movie. Good movie. Yeah. It's okay. a good movie. It's a good movie,
0: Hey, eh? Forget about it. <laughs> All right, well, so let's go ahead and start with uh, our rankings. Um, Let's start with Josh.
2: I put this uh, at 25, so smack dab in the middle of our ranking. Uh, 20 through 25 is Adaptation, Scream, John Wick, Network, Sound of Metal, and that's where I put My Cousin Vinny, right above (laughs) Bicycle Thieves, (laughs) Jackie (laughs) Brown, and Al D.
1: So yeah, I'm, I'm putting this above Bicycle Thieves, so... That's awesome. Suck it, Italian neo neorealism. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that proves that Italian-Americans are better than actual Italians. That's Josh's opinion. <laughs> that's what, that's um, what Josh is saying here. <laughs> it's not my opinion, however. I put it two spots lower. So I'll have it at number 27. Uh, had a really good time with this. Uh, I wouldn't put it above Jackie Brown, but still really good. So number 27 on the list. We have 25 is Bicycle Thieves. 26 is Jackie Brown. 27 for me would be My Cousin Vinny and 27 Hans D. And then or
0: the incentives. most hated movie for Hugo, Rudy, <laughs> is right after that. <laughs> it's, it's not the most hated movie. Right? Uh, okay, well, so obviously I'm the person highest on this movie, and that uh, makes sense because it was my pick for us to watch mm-hmm. it. Uh, for me, I have it come in at number 19. Uh, so at number 15 is Your Name, one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, 16 in Bruges. Uh, 17, The Lighthouse, 18, The Wind Rises, and then I have uh, My Cousin Vinny at number 19, just above Munich. Uh, so, uh, I'm sure someone has already done the math. Where are we putting
2: this, guys? What's the average? Putting this at 24, right behind Network, right
1: in front of Sound of Metal. My
0: I'm cousin, Vinny.
1: That's pretty good. Of course, this won't matter next week. And that's yes. a
0: good good segue, Hugo, because next week... We're doing another re-rank episode where we uh, actually make our own personal ranking lists of all the movies we've seen, and then get the correct, uh, you know, placement for them based on our weight or basically weighting our preferences for these movies. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, it'll be fun to go back and rehash some of these these movies because I. I just remember the last time that there's moments that uh, all of us are just like I can't believe that that I can't believe you feel that way about this movie. <laughs> and, and it Always leads to some fun but polite butting of heads. So, so uh, please join us again next week for our re- re-rank of our fifty films on the film to remember list for the Remember the Film podcast. Uh, Woo! Josh, where can people find you on them internets?
2: uh on youtube movies i love and so can you uh, i just released a bunch of best picture reviews for the best picture nominees please watch that and uh, on twitter at the josh b
1: hugo and you can find me on twitter at hugo underscore Pinay, but like all of my tweets are just me being sad about not seeing every everything everywhere all at once right now so you might not <laughs> want to follow me until they releases in italy like maybe come back in a few months uh and you can follow me on letterboxd at hugo pnai uh, and you can find me
0: on twitch.tv slash goodgamegrizz. Uh, my second annual birthday stream is coming up uh, on April 15th. Uh, so please tune in to watch me and friends play video games and open Pokemon cards all throughout the day. Uh, I'd appreciate you stopping by for that. Also, you can follow me on Twitter and on Letterboxd, goodgamegrizz on both. Uh, and if I could, actually, I just want to shout out, uh, Hugo's reviews on Letterboxd are excellent. They're they're Good. concise, and but also... Uh, he puts thought into it. So I know we always say follow us on (laughs) Letterboxd. I do strongly suggest following Hugo on Letterboxd. And if you want to follow me, great. I'd appreciate that too. (laughs) Uh, So until next time, thank you for joining us and we will see you later. Bye-bye. Bye.